In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a field guide to alien races. There are many, many, many different types of species that look like greys. Some are called zeta humans that are extremely positive and are very concerned for our welfare. Then there are the greys that are more aggressive and dark. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60, it's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the 
surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Craig Campobasso is here to discuss some of the extraterrestrial species that are said to populate the universe. We'll explore the origins, physical characteristics, technological and consciousness abilities, dimensional capacities, belief systems, and cosmic agendas of some of these alien races. Craig is a casting director and award-winning filmmaker. He's been casting film and television for over three decades and was Emmy-nominated for casting David E. Kelly's Picket Fences. He recently cast Don't Come Back from the Moon, starring James Franco and Rashida Jones, the film Starbright, and the television series The Adventures of Velvet Prozac. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book authored by the late Dr. Frank E. Stranges. It won Best Sci-Fi Film at the Burbank International Film Festival and the World Fest Houston International Film Festival. He's the author of The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga Book Trilogy. His new book is The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, The Ultimate Guide to Greys, Reptilians, Hybrids, and Nordics. Hey, Craig, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. It's been a while. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Richard? I'm all right. Thanks. Hey, congrats on the new book, The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, which came out in January. I have to tell you, I love these kinds of books. My mother loves to watch birds. She's a bird watcher. So she's got the Audubon Field Guide to North American Bird Species <laughs> in her living room, and she's got her binoculars. So this is kind of the extraterrestrial version of the, uh, the Audubon book. How many species, if you will, of ETs are included in the book? Well, in the book, there is 82 different races that have either visited Earth in the past or in the present or continue to visit Earth. Now, lots of the most of the races I took from a lot of contactee books going back into into the 50s and even a little bit before that because these these are books that have now been forgotten and are no longer in print so i went to uh, either the authors or the publishers and asked for permission to uh to receive those books and and i did myself a whole lot of reading and uh, well as you know i've been immersed in the uh, ufo business for over 35 years so i i know about all these cases and um so I picked all the ones that were really quite interesting to me and uh, and then went from there. And uh, so, you know, these are thumbnail reviews. And then, for instance, if somebody really uh, got on about reading about a race, like perhaps the Clarions, which uh, Maurizio Cavallo in Italy is having face-to-face contact with for some time. Hmm. Uh, he's even taken uh, photographs of them, and he allowed me to reprint a male and a female clarion in the book. So we do have some real pictures of extraterrestrials in the book, including one that I took myself in 2015. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Yes, please. The clarions, what do they look like? Are they human. more human-looking? Okay. Yes, they're they're human and they're, they're, uh, I first learned about the Clarions from Elizabeth Clarer, K-L-A-R-E-R. She's a South African woman. 
and uh, she has since passed on, but but all of her interviews, and they are beautifully done interviews, uh, live on online. So people can uh, uh, watch her and listen to her story. But her story basically was she came here sort of as a starseed to help raise consciousness. She left her husband behind and, and on Clarion or in Clarion, I'm not sure what the planet was called. And um, uh, when she was an adult, he came here and they sort of rekindled their love and uh, and friendship. And at a certain point, she became pregnant. He took her back um, during her pregnancy. And then she gave birth to the baby there because he said the baby wouldn't be able to survive on Earth. Uh, due to the components that its body would be built upon with with his DNA, that that the baby would have to live back on Clarion. So then he brought Elizabeth back, and she basically lived out her days until she passed away. Her story is fascinating. Maurizio's story is fascinating, and so so people are looking and and. Uh, say, wow, I want to learn more about that. They can go to the back of the book under further reading and see that Maurizio's book is called Beyond the Heavens and that they can go uh, they can go to his Facebook pages or his websites or uh, uh, they can purchase that particular book on Amazon, by the right, way. Right. And it's, it's just, you know, all these books to me are extremely fascinating. It's, it, it's like I, I say... To all the readers, I've been doing this a long time. All of these stories are great and and fascinating, and all I've done is collected them and put them in a book so everyone can enjoy them. And I leave it up to you and your belief system what you want to believe. The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac: The Ultimate Guide to Greys, Reptilians, Hybrids, and Nordics. Now, the the Clarions. The photographs that you've included, they closely resemble humans, but is there any distinguishing characteristics that would would immediately stand out and someone would say, ah, that's a clarion, that's not human? You totally would know uh, by looking at the female. Her face, uh, that she's petite, her face is very round, and all of her features are extremely petite, and she has large sort of almond-shaped eyes, quite blue in the color uh, photograph that I have. So when you, when you would see this, you would know that this is not an Earth person. Right, and uh, these, these yeah. photographs, again, were taken and submitted by Maurizio, this gentleman from Italy. That's, that's correct. That's correct. And, and they are in his book as well. And uh, where are they located in the, uh, in the galaxy? Clarions, um, let me see. They come from the constellation of Aquila. Aquila. In the, the binary system with two suns. And, uh, yeah. and how did he first make contact with, with the Clarions? You know, I'm not sure exactly when he first made uh, contact, but they're actually living here on Earth, several of them. And um, they're sort of here to help with uh, the raising of consciousness because they believe by them being here, and, and they are fully conscious beings with, uh, um, uh, with, with quite uh, extensive consciousness, 
that by being here, it does help to also raise the vibration of the planet. So, and, and some of the things that are written in there about them are really just my favorite. Um, there's, there's a saying uh, that they have that I just think is so beautiful. It's uh, that they're aware that they and all sentient beings on the consciousness of the primordial atom and of eternity and know that death is only transformational. The soul is eternal and they believe in the invisible architect of creation fulfills destiny and the celestial creators weave fate. So the book is uh, gives a lot of those types of analogies about who they are and uh, uh, what, uh, what they're doing here. And mo- most of the races are benevolent and are, are here for several different reasons. But the main reason is, is to help Earth rise up and out of duality and at the point when we start tipping and becoming fully conscious, rejoining with universal society again. Right, so you split these species into two categories. One, the benevolent races, as you've just discussed. Then we have the malevolent races, which are responsible for abductions, cloning, ultimately domination. Which species in particular should we be most concerned about? Well, I think the ones there, there, believe me, there are uh, bad humans that we should be um, aware of as well. And as in all races, there are all fractions, even in fully conscious races, we know that people can, can fall from their consciousness and, and sort of resort back into uh, egotistical thinking, which, which then uh, takes them out of becoming fully conscious and, and they uh, go start reverting to duality. So, um, but primarily on this planet that's, uh, that's happened are um, uh, the greys. Now, mind you, there are several, many, many, many different types of species that look like greys. Some are called Zeta humans that are extremely positive and, and are, uh, are very concerned for our welfare. Then there are then there are the greys that are more aggressive and dark. Um, and, and what they do is they abduct people against their will and they rob them of their genetic materials and sometimes they will follow a whole family uh, lineage uh, to see now uh, all of their agendas are different we're, we're not quite sure which agenda follows which one but what are they creating when they're creating hybrids I mean there's many scenarios with many different races and just a few of them are is that uh, at a certain point they started cloning their race and through time uh, and, and they went into a more scientific way of thinking and they lost their spirituality and they uh, they lost themselves basically and then over many generations of cloning they basically could not reproduce anymore and could not even clone because of the clones there was just barely any consciousness there so they knew they had to come and, and take some kind of dna and and uh, humans here on earth because of our dualistic nature we have a whole ascension matrix 
because when we rise up and out of duality, we ascend into the next dimension. So our genetics are very important to them. So, um, but there are ways of going about that if beings wanted DNA, sometimes before they incarnate, like star seeds, part of their contract is, is that they will exchange their DNA with the benevolent races um, as well, and, uh, different, and certain things like that. So that's why you hear about positive extraterrestrial cases, uh, ones where people have no idea what's going on, uh, some that are totally terrified, but then after years of understanding them, they understand that it was benevolent in nature. They were just afraid because they had no idea what was going on. And then others who just have these horrific uh, experiences, like like Calvin Parker. Right, right. I right. mean, when he was abducted, oh my God, he just said that thing was so evil. Uh, I mean, evil beyond evil and dark, dark, dark. So, so again... Um, I, I, we're just not going to know exactly what their agendas are, but the whole community hypothesizes on certain things, and a lot of these things that I'm telling you about usually come through the regressions of the hypnotherapist, of which I'm, I'm quite close to several of the top leading ones today who, who are into, uh, who do the extraterrestrial abductions or contactees. Right. So. And through researching this book, were there any of the 82 extraterrestrial species that you had not heard of before? Yes, there were, there were quite a few, and I found them to be most interesting. Um, there, there's a race called the Arians and the, and the Ni, or the Ganai, G-N-E, and they're uh, Asian races um, from Aldebaran. And this was a Wendell Stevens book uh, that he did. Um, and it talks about them and it talks about how their whole solar system warred and warred for thousands and thousands of years. And then just at a certain point, they just were like, what are we doing? I look, at, look at the dead count. It's ridiculous. And, and then they started working together and now they have joint motherships and, and sort of travel around and study. Um, what a real interesting race were the being Itapurians and they're from a planet called Itabira. And they're very, uh, they're very tall, slender beings. And uh, through, uh, through the course of their evolution, they stopped eating solid foods and they went to a liquefied diet. So over time, their mouths became very small and rudimentary and they, they had little tiny teeth and they actually lost their fingernails, right? Interesting. Uh, so, th so they wear little tips on their fingers, right? Like little, uh, like little thumbs. Or uh, what do they, what do you call those little thumb things when you sew? A little right, right. Yeah, thimbles, thimbles, thimbles. Thimble. There you go. Thank you. And um, anyway, they came here in the fifties and sixties and set up shop in the Amazon because they're they're addicted to finding the next great taste because 
they have to they have to fulfill their needs to taste different kinds of liquid foods. So they started hybridizing uh, their fruits with our fruits. And so uh, they set up shop deep in the Amazon and uh, were quite friendly uh, with the local natives and uh, sometimes would venture into town and uh, that type of thing. So, but and then their history goes on that their planet uh, was literally dying. The whole biosphere was slowly degrading and they had to find a new place to live. So they went out and they found they found a section uh, of a galaxy that had three planets uh, that were uh, vacant. And so they slowly moved their population, their animal life, plant life, water life, everything over in timed increments. And then they moved all of their machinery to the second planet. And that's where all their machinery was because they found that the machinery was causing cancer in their people. Hmm. So they moved it to that, and then they dedicated the third planet to making it a heart planet where uh, they, they work some way out where it would only send out these loving vibrations into their galaxy and into their other two planets. So that was a very fascinating race. So, and there's many more like that as well um, that are in there and, and I'll give you one more because it, uh, it was just really fascinating. It was sort of like it's they're a, a lizard human looking race. Uh, they're from Rigel and uh, they had um, brought a 14 year old Cherokee girl from the reservation up on the craft. Uh, they didn't abduct her. They just brought her there and they hooked her up to a telepathic uh, machine in her brain and the being hooked himself up to it, and they were able to have a full-blown conversation. And so when they put her back, she was able to remember everything in vivid detail because she was hooked up to this machine and it was actually encoded in her memories. So it wasn't like they, they washed her brain of the experience and they just told her about their race and they gave her a tour of the ship. They just wanted people to know who they were and they didn't mean them any harm and uh, things of that nature. So that being, the, the picture in the book of that being is quite spectacular. More of my conversation with Craig Campobasso when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I use Life Change Tea from Get The Tea every morning and it's made such a huge difference in my life. Buy a one-year supply of Super Strength Life Change Tea and start feeling rejuvenated right now. Life Change Tea is not the same tea you buy in a store off the shelf. Life Change Tea from Get The Tea has eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. This tea is specially formulated to help cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. The benefits of this product go way beyond what I've listed here. Do your research and start your day with a cool, refreshing 16-ounce glass of Super Strength Life Change Tea. It's non-GMO, organic, caffeine-free, and again, not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. 
So go on, get your tea from getthetea.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Craig Campobasso is here, and we're discussing some of the E.T. races that inhabit the universe. So the reptilians, not to be confused with the uh, the lizard humanoid that you just described that had this, sounds like a rather peaceful encounter with this uh, Cherokee uh, girl. The reptilians uh, get a, a pretty bad rap. Um, are they deserving of that rap? Well, I think as within every race, the the one thing to always remember is to judge the individual not the race right there are many 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 reptilians that are fully conscious and that are um that are very also loving creatures there are many also uh, uh in in doing the research on this book and another book that I'm doing for MUFON, I have talked to a lot of hybrids. And a lot of hybrids have a mixture of several races, including reptilian. And, and they actually like the reptilian part of their DNA because reptilians really are smart, smart, smart creatures, right? So the aggression is built into the reptilians that we know about that are doing all the damage. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother show that could go for hours and hours and hours, and I'm just giving thumbnail reviews here, but they just feel superior, and basically they just eventually want to run the universe. So so those are those are the ones... But there's also humans that want to do that, and there's also other races of the bad ones that that also want to do that. Will they ever do that? Probably not. The reptilians allegedly have shape-shifting capabilities. Uh, how much truth to that is there? Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, and you say, well, how would one shape-shift? Right? And... And I, I don't know how that's done. I, I've done some research, and they say it's done through the pineal gland, um, that type of thing. But maybe the ones that shapeshift are in a different dimension that allows them those capabilities. Um, and maybe their shapeshifting is just a screen that they can kind of do. Um, the, the picture of the alien that I took was an interdimensional being. Um, I was on an abduction case, and uh, my friend who was abducted it's a, uh, was taking me through. Uh, he had taken me down to the lake where it all happened, or the river where it all happened for hours and hours and hours, and then he took me back to the house he was living in then, which he still owned but moved the family out of. And took me into the backyard, which is forest. And he said when he arrived home, they were walking out of the forest towards his house. And uh, he ran in, ran in through the back door and was locking everything. And so as he was talking about this, 
I could hear stuff like twigs and, and, and movement there in the forest. And so I kept snapping pictures with my Minolta camera and I actually caught the Bing on camera. Aha. And so it was in silhouette, but what you saw was its legs would come up to where our knees are. And then it had an extremely long torso. It was about six foot three, long arms, a long neck, and a skinny, long sort of uh, oval uh, head. And it was holding a round light. And the minute I saw that light, I went, that's an interdimensional light source. So then we took the photo and we lightened it up where we could see its face more and we could see that the being is wearing goggles some form of goggles and i went oh those are like we use night vision binoculars those are interdimensional lenses where they can see between the dimensions right hmm. uh, now i can't prove this this is just what comes came to me immediately when seeing the picture and my friend said that being wanted you to take its picture because um, they they don't let anyone take their picture unless they want that picture taken. So I put it as the last entry of the book, have the pictures in there, that it's the, um, uh, called it the unknown alien. And uh, anyway, it was just fascinating. And of course, my friend captures them all the time and... Uh, everything so um and then the very next photo right after that one were giant wisps of plasma falling from the sky and i put that picture also in the book and what are these giant wisps of plasma do you suppose are they another enti- another type of uh, et i think it's sort of like um uh, maybe it's like an ectoplasm or it's something of that nature that they use to come through because every time my friend captures them on film, the very next photo is all of this sort of plasma all over in different sh- ways, shapes, and forms. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the Nordics. I mean, I hear the name come up. I've not read too many accounts of people encountering them, maybe a couple, but tell me, who are they? Where do they come from? What do they look like? Well, the Nordics, uh, the Nordics are uh, extremely tall race. Originally, uh, Nordics came from the constellation of Lyra, uh, and then they went out in settlements into Vega, the Pleiades, um, other systems. They went to Sirius and uh, uh, throughout the rest of the universe. Uh, but they are anywhere from seven feet uh, to eight, nine, ten, twelve feet. Some some are quite large. Uh, some of the uh, inner Earth inhabitants here also have been known to go up to twenty feet. So. Uh, originally, these uh, it is said that the civilizations of of these uh, places like Alcyone and the Pleiades and Syrians and others uh, all came here during the times of Atlantis to live in this new world of the free, where all beings could live together in harmony. 
And so they basically say that our DNA is their DNA. And uh, so if people want to know what extraterrestrial DNA is, I guess they say it's in us. So um, it's just all fascinating. Can't prove it, but there are all these theories that are out there, but I just find it, I mean, someday people will be able to prove it and probably isolate your your DNA through uh, Ancestry.com and say, your <laughs> universal origins are from. There you go. There you go. Are we able to, at this point, match types of craft with specific species of ETs? So, for example, if you see a cigar-shaped craft, you know those are Palladians. If you see a diamond shape, that might be the Nordics and so forth. Well, they, uh, all of the uh, positive beings, uh, they all share their technology. So everything is pretty much a discus-shaped craft, or they have uh, giant round motherships. Uh, they have scout ships that are different shapes and sizes. Usually the cigar crafts are the cargo ships, that go to and from delivering supplies. Um, uh, some of them, uh, some of the, some of the uh, cigar-shaped crafts have been caught on film by George Adamski, uh, which are uh, shown in his books, and other people have also <clears throat> caught them on film. Now, there are many different shapes and sizes. I have a friend, him and his wife. They they get. Uh, they get a voice in their head that says, go out to the park. They live in New York. Go go to Central Park. They go out every day. They say where to shoot up into the sky with their long lenses. And every day they get different kinds of craft on film. And every day it looks completely different. So I started, uh, me being in the film business, Everyone's fascinated with this, so they're always asking me questions. So I've, I've now had a, a, an agent uh, send me a picture. He said, I kept doing what you said. Just look up, look up. He says, I was in Hollywood. Look what I got. He got a perfectly clear picture of a giant silver donut-shaped craft with a hole in the middle. Wow. And did, did he have to use any type of filter on the lens or? His phone. It was with it was his, his phone. iPhone. With his iPhone. And it was as clear as day. And the same happens with uh, this other producer director that I work with uh, who catches them. Now, of course, because I've been doing this and I have my whole book series of the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga out. And now this, and I, uh, you know, made Stranger at the Pentagon short film, and it's it's just all fascinating. And uh, I always just tell people you just have to look up, and if you see something, uh, pull your phone out and take a picture. 
You mentioned your film, Stranger in the Pentagon, Valiant Thor, of course, this amazing story of this extraterrestrial who, who lands near, I guess, Alexandria, Virginia in 1957 and uh, ends up staying in the Pentagon. And I believe he also had access to the White House, supposedly, during the Eisenhower administration. You and yeah. I talked about this several years ago. For those that missed that episode, just give us kind of the, the thumbnail sketch of, of Valiant Thor and how, for example, and this story was originally told by Dr. Strange is how the two of them met. Oh, yes, I will. And by the way, before I start, in case I forget, uh, people can watch the short film if you have Amazon Prime or it's on the StrangerAtThePentagon.com website as well. Um, now, Dr. Frank met uh, Valiant Thor through a sort of series of events. And one of the, one of the first events was uh, while, while Valiant Thor was already living at the Pentagon, Howard Menger, who was a major contactee with human extraterrestrials, would have UFO uh, groups in, come to his backyard where they would talk about things. And one day he was uh, having one of these such groups, and there was Gray Barker, who... Uh, uh, published a lot of the UFO books back then, uh, among other people, including James Mosley, who was in it up until his death. And Valiant Thor and his vice commander, Don, and another vice commander named Zan's wife, Jill, was in attendance there. And uh, August Roberts, who was an amateur ufologist but he did have the largest collection of ufo photographs at that time and he brought his camera and he noticed that valiant thor did not have fingerprints or palm prints and he was just so attracted to him and he said and when he looked through his eyes he could see him reach below and read his entire soul history right and so he knew that there was something special about them. So he focused the entire time taking over 250 photographs that day. And, uh, and now Howard, every time, because uh, the, all these humans looked exactly like us, they would give a certain handshake to him which let him know that they weren't from here. August uh, Roberts, the photographer, uh, retired Air Force photographer, by the way, uh, he confirmed with Howard Menger that night that he received uh, the handshake from them. So now he has these photographs and he runs home and he uh, develops them he calls his friend, Dr. Frank Strangers. Now, mind you, this is taking place in Highbridge, New Jersey. Dr. Frank lived in New Jersey, and um, August Roberts lived in New Jersey at the time, and so did Howard Menger. So he takes the photographs over uh, to Dr. Frank, and Dr. Frank looks at them, and he says, well, what makes you think that they're not from here? And he explains everything that I've just explained to you. Uh, to you. And so Dr. Frank takes the one photograph of Valiant Thor and he blows it up and he puts it on his board when he gives talks. He, he, uh, Dr. Frank was a minister 
And one of his main talks was UFOs and the Bible. So he would travel the U.S. and Canada and other places, uh, including Korea, where he filled like stadiums like Dodger Stadium, being on the stage with J. Allen Hynek and him talking about Valiant Thor. That's how interested people were over there about this case. So uh, anyway, so now Dr. Frank, this is uh, December 1959. He is speaking at a church for two weeks. And this one particular night, he has his board up and he has a picture of George Adamski and Orthon, the Venusian being that he met. And he tells that story. He has the photographs of the craft um, and of, uh, I'm not sure if he had the uh, Oblong um, uh, cargo ships uh, there, but he did have the craft. And then he would put Valiant Thor's picture in the middle and he, w- he would talk about all these different stories, including Ezekiel and the Bible stories. And then at the very end, he would tell the story that August Roberts told him and that this man is supposedly from, uh, from another planet. And, uh, and he would usually say to his whole congregation, uh, for those who believe in, in being from somewhere else, say I, and most of the people would say I. And that's how he would sort of end his seminars, or he would do that at the very beginning. So it, it, he has finished his sermon, and he is talking to uh, the congregation afterwards, and a woman walks up to him and shows him her Pentagon badge. She is also a member of the church. And... Uh, they go and have a private conversation in the pastor's office in the back. And uh, she says that she had pointed to the picture of Valiant Thor and said, he wants to meet with you. And so she made arrangements to pick Dr. Frank up at 8 a.m. the following morning and bring him to the Pentagon to meet Valiant Thor. Uh, She did. They, uh, they, got through um, what they had to get through, through the guard, through the two guards. And she brought him to an unmarked door and said, he's in there. And uh, so Dr. Frank walked in, he found three military guys working at death who didn't even notice him. He tried clearing his throat saying, excuse me. None of them even acknowledged him. And then from around the back of the door comes walking down the door and says, hello, Frank. And they sit down, he introduces himself, and they have a conversation. And he had brought his spacesuit for uh, Dr. Frank to examine. He had told uh, uh, Dr. Frank that he had allowed the government to do testing on it, that they tried to do a diamond drill. It wouldn't even penetrate the material. They poured acid on it. They tried to uh, use a maser on it. Uh, and that didn't work. And then he showed him how the invisible zipper worked. Uh, basically, you just run your fingers from the top to the bottom as far down as you want. You put it on and you just zip it up with your finger. Uh, that's the way the material works. So uh, so this meeting, uh, Dr. Frank left. Uh, Valiant Thor already knew at this point because he had come with a divine design that was to help eliminate uh, disease, poverty, to how to prolong life, um, and to uh, 
uh, also talk to them about uh, the, the dangers of atomics and what it's doing to the universe and to the interdimensional world, uh, including Earth, and, um, and also about free energy and the way the planet's being polluted and that you have to take care of the planet and things of that nature. So um, anyway, Nixon and Eisenhower were for his proposal. It was a joint decision with the Joint Chiefs and the other powers that be. Um, you have to remember this is when the military-industrial complex was getting up on its legs, which was them taking a different fraction of the government and now doing things of their own agenda. And their agenda was uh, during... Thor's day, they wanted his technology. His technology was organic. They didn't have that at the time. So all they had were um, regular saucers. So anyway, uh, so by the time he met Dr. Frank, they had already turned down the proposal and uh, Valiant Thor would depart on March 16th. Uh, 1960, exactly three years to the date that he arrived, and uh, that Valiant Thor did tell him he would see him again, and Valiant Thor uh, came back exactly a year later on the same date in 1961, and he sort of set up shop here, and um, uh, his craft are called Victor One. Uh, class saucers. They are 300 feet in diameter. They're 97 feet from uh, the top of the antenna to the bottom. Uh, they're double-deckered. Actually, on the website under Buy Books and DVD, I, I have the poster there that actually has the blueprints on it because it's just so fascinating. So people can sort of look at it there if they want to. And that's at autobiographyofnet.com. So, right. but, but the stranger at the Pentagon.com is where the poster is ah. under buy books and DVD. Yeah. All right. So, but those are the two websites. So everybody has them now. So where is Valiant Thor today? Do we know? Still here. And he, uh, his craft is stationed at Lake Mead. And uh, there are uh, all the Victor class saucers. There's Victor One. His is Victor One, the flagship. Uh, each craft holds 200 people. And uh, and then there's Victor Two, Victor Three, Victor Four. They go all the way up, and they are stationed in and around uh, the Earth, and they they're constantly monitoring. And then he has a giant starship, which he designed and built in outer space that's uh, above Earth's atmosphere as well. That's 14 miles long and seven miles wide. There's actually a, a cool picture in one of the posters on Stranger at the Pentagon. Dot com. It, it's unique looking than any uh, other sort of uh, starship. So it's sort of like a mini mothership, uh, if you will. And he uh, he will be here for the full duration of uh, the planet shifting over into full consciousness and making sure that everything is run smoothly and the way that it should be. And uh, is he still in contact with the Pentagon? That I don't know. We lost Dr. Frank in 2008. And so when Dr. Frank was alive, I was able to, of course, ask him questions. And if I needed to ask a question of the crew, he would definitely ask them and get me an answer. 
And so I would assume so because he's been here so long and has had those relationships throughout the years. Um, but I'm not really sure. I'd just be curious to know whether he was working behind the scenes to try and move towards full disclosure, try to, to use his influence towards full disclosure. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he would be the one that they're able to measure the consciousness's readiness for disclosure. So I forget the name of the gentleman that came out from Israel just a little while ago that said, that the ETs said that we weren't ready for it or right. something like that. Yes. So so I'm not I'm not sure but uh, they do have ways and means through their uh, super biological computers to measure consciousness and to see when when a world might be ready for that. So but what we do know is that our world is moving towards that all of the new all of the new uh, papers have just been uh, getting released. Um, you know, John Greenwald has the great website, The Black Vault, that has everything on it that you want to look for. And, um, and it's, uh, I mean, just, it's so much. There's just so much. But, but the government is releasing little things out there. Uh, they released the Tic Tac. It went into the New York Times to give it validity. And they're releasing little things here and there. We're starting to hear more. And uh, I'm still moving forward with making the feature film, The Stranger at the Pentagon, which will be a wonderful form of disclosure because it started way back in those days. And... Uh, during that time, uh, uh, this movie will be more of a healing vehicle of those times and and the positions that people were in and what they were forced to do uh, in those moments. So um, it's uh, I, I I just think that uh, movies are great teachers for people and people understand them and. Uh, Everyone has fallen in love with the short film. It has become so huge all over the world. Uh, I can't tell you uh, all the things. I mean, I'll, I'll be asked to just do a little talk, and, and it'll be, uh, they'll say, oh, it's like midnight for us, but it's okay, and I'll be talking, and uh, I'll be in a T-shirt because I'm like, oh, okay, it's just me and you talking, right? And then all of a sudden they turn the camera around and they're in a, like a giant uh, uh, like auditorium with crap loads of people in there. <laughs> Surprise! Days. Surprise! So watch! Like, that was the first time that I learned my lesson. Uh, don't wear a t-shirt if you're going to be on film. <laughs> That's right. So uh, when, when does production begin on uh, the feature film, the feature length film, Stranger in the Pentagon? Well, we are all ready and raring to go. We're uh, talking to investors now. So if there's, uh, there's any investors out there with, uh, you know, some millions of dollars, uh, give me a call because we're just sort of fielding all the offers and uh, we can have more than one investor, of course. Um, this will be a very unique film because half of the film will take place up in the universe and the other half will take place in D.C. So it'll be the two dichotomies of worlds and consciousness and, 
and uh, the dilemmas that happen between them. All right. In the meantime, we have the extraterrestrial species almanac, the ultimate guide to greys, reptilians, hybrids, and Nordics. And people can go to autobiographyofanet.com, and I think they can get an autographed copy there, right? They can, yes. Just uh, click on the tab, Other Books, at the top, and that'll take you to the ET almanac. And on the on the homepage is where I have the Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga book series. There's four books in the series. You can buy them individually, or you can click one button and get all hardcovers or all soft covers if you want to buy them as a group. Terrific. Craig, it was great catching up. Thanks for spending some time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was fun. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Coming up next time, I'll speak with director James Fox about his explosive documentary, Phenomenon, hailed as the most credible and revealing film ever made about the long-standing global cover-up and mystery involving unidentified aerial phenomenon. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.